Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour, a.k.a. the Seamaster, videographer Nick Yale. Welcome into another edition of Questions from the Audience. And uh, once again, I am going solo on the questions from the audience, but my cohorts in previous questions from the audience, Iggy and the Plowhawk, we will be doing a show. Now, I never know when people are listening to this. As I'm saying it, this is April 24th, 2018. So who knows where things will be by the time you're listening to this. But we will be doing a show, 6 to 7 St. Louis time, leading into the Ryan Kelly morning after. And that was born out of uh, the fact that uh, questions from the audience was met with uh, a lot of, um, I don't know what the right word would be. Excitement would be really overstating it. But it got downloaded a lot. So it's not really an adjective. It's just a phrase, and it was terribly worded. But people liked it, and so uh, we are now going to do 6 to 7 at least for a week, and maybe two days in I'll go, no, I don't want to do this, but we'll finish off the week, and that'll be that. So anyway, that's what's going to be going on on 590 The Fan KFNS leading into the Ryan Kelly morning after, for those of you who listen to that program, and that will start on April 30th, 2018. It might be a week. It might be long-term. It depends on if the show is good. It depends on if all three of us are enjoying uh, doing the show. And then it depends on the ability to generate sponsorship dollars. So, hey, if you're interested, email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com because you can help make the show actually a long-term fixture on KFNS. So, with all of that said, really enjoyed questions from the audience last week going solo And so back again, solo with your questions. And as I asked people to do uh, last week, I said, go ahead and email in some if you want, because I know plenty of people aren't on the TMA fan page. And uh, and we'll see what we get. And so this time, one thing I wanted to do differently, even though I guess it was maybe a fun listen uh, to just listen to me react to the questions. I was just scrolling down, answering them. I think it also led to some answers that weren't that great. So I'm picking and choosing on the questions that I think I can give better answers to as opposed to somewhere I'm just kind of, and then I feel almost rude unintentionally because I'm dismissing a question from somebody who might have legitimately been serious or was joking. I can't tell. And, uh, and then it just, it doesn't lead to being the greatest content. So there's my logic. So we had a few emailed in and, uh, and this, I guess leads to story time, which isn't necessarily, uh, something that I was thinking was going to happen with questions from the audience, but I guess that's what we will have with questions from the audience, at least in this case. And I don't know if people want their names on it. Sometimes people specifically say, please don't read my name. So I will just read the last name on this one. Uh, but this person works in broadcasting, not in St. Louis for the record. Uh, so here we go. Uh, okay. One to consider as I age, I shift from running to uh, aged aged, aged nurse, music, music genres to power walking to podcasts. These podcasts are superb. 
two questions for you. Think back to 1999 for your first job. How did you land in Little Rock for your first job? What did you put on your resume tape? For the jump from Little Rock to St. Louis, how did you piece that together? Did you get a call out of the blue for it? Um, So regarding that, I guess I'll start in Columbia because some of you either are interested in broadcasting or have children who may be interested in broadcasting. And I say this sincerely, and I know it, it might come off the wrong way, and I try to make sure that I'm cognizant of it when I say it. I really would not advise somebody getting into broadcasting, and that's coming from somebody who has been very fortunate in it, but I also know how the thing that I think I dislike the most about it is the instability. It's just constant. And that is something that is just, it's just no way to live. And it's, it's truly tiring. So at 41 years old, um, to paraphrase Stephen Wildwood's emails, I'm, I'm legitimately tired of it. And I don't know how much more of the, uh, I don't know what the right word would be, dealing with the crap I'm interested in, in doing. Um, so that, that's the thing that stands out to me in my position. Now, for those of you who would either be getting into it or are in it as this, this person, Chris, uh, was with the email, um, one of the biggest issues is getting jobs because there are hundreds of people who want one job. And so what winds up happening is once again, it's economics. If you have a huge, uh, demand and limited supply, then what happens for the people who are looking for, excuse me, huge supply and limited demand, um, what happens? The people who are looking for the jobs are not in a position to ever really, really make a lot of money unless their presence on a station, a podcast, television, radio, whatever the case might be, is material to the parent company's bottom line. Otherwise, you are replaceable. And one of the difficult things is in the business, it's a business that is usually for on air driven by ego. And I don't say that in a negative. I say it more in a psychoanalytical way. Um, In order to want to put yourself on television or radio, you have to think people give a shit about the things that you're going to say or do on television or radio, which therefore is not necessarily for somebody who doesn't have either a legitimate form of self-confidence, an inflated form of self-confidence, or just flat-out delusional. Take your pick. So everybody thinks they're good. And then you get into this weird spot of, well, once you first pop up on television or radio, inevitably your friends, family are going to say you're good just because you're on, but in reality you might not be. And then somebody is going to tell you you're not good or they're going to not hire you or they're going to hire you and then inevitably have to let you go. And then you become angry at that person and it becomes a whole cycle. That's why when I talk with people about broadcasting, I emphasize the importance of the relationship with the sales staff. Because just like any other business, if you're generating revenue for the parent company, you have value. And if you are costing the company money, you are not only not valuable, as harsh as that might sound, you become somebody in the middle of the crosshairs to part ways with, uh, to save money. And it sounds harsh, and for whatever reason, I think that's common for most businesses, but in radio and television, people usually don't accept that and then go running around talking about how they got screwed over. 
when in reality, rarely is that the case because what business would want to part ways with somebody who is making them money? The difference with radio and television is, unlike, say, a baseball team where you can look up statistics and say, oh, so-and-so is hitting a buck fifty. It's time to cut his ass. Uh, with radio, we have those statistics. They're called dollars. It's just they're not public. So when a change is made and then, like, the ten people who might like a show go up and get pissed off about it, uh, then it feeds the ego of the person who, of course, feels like they were wronged, and the cycle goes on. So the name of the game, just like any other business, is dollars. But at the outset, what is the game? Well, the game is when you're at the University of Missouri, and you might be at Lindenwood. I know a lot of people go there to get into broadcasting. But in my case, at the University of Missouri, you are flat out told, which I think is healthy. I think this part is healthy. I think they leave one thing out, but this is 20 years ago, so maybe they've changed it. You are told you are not going to make any money. You are flat out told your first job you are not going to make any money. You are also told you are going to work in a very small market. Now, this is television, uh, and, and so that's good because it doesn't set any standard that is going to be unlikely to take place. Now, this was 1998, 1999. If you do ever watch any form of local news, you may notice that there are a number of people probably in their early to mid-20s, whereas when I started at KMOV, I was the youngest person at KMOV, probably by a good amount, and I think might have been the youngest person on air in the market at the time, and that would not be the case now at the age of 23. So when it came to the University of Missouri, the thing that I feel like they left out in the journalism school is what I just started this whole thing with, and that is the importance of being aware of revenue generation and having a rapport with the sales staff and not dismissing the sales staff's requests uh, under the impression that somehow as an on-air person, you are more important because when it gets down to it, we are not shit without the sales staff. We are not shit without our clients. Uh, and and that, that rule only applies to perhaps a handful of people in the business. So that that's that's really the first commandment. But when it came to the University of Missouri, they didn't talk about that. They talked about Nat Sound Pops. They talked about Dissolve Edits. They talked about really looking and digging into sources. And unfortunately, depending on your perspective, I suppose, when it gets down to it, that stuff just doesn't matter. When it really gets down to it. Now, I know that's a, that might be anti-dogma, but I, I enjoy anti-dogma. But that's that's reality. What matters is how much money you bring in. That's business, just like any other business. But we're put into this utopian world that if we really grind and work our sources, everything will work out. And then all of a sudden you find yourself 35, 40 years old and you're working nights and weekends and you go in for your raise after your contract and you're offered, if you're lucky, the same amount you were making the last couple of years, despite how many awards you may have won. And you go, oh, my God, I'm in a business with absolutely no room for advancement terrible hours. I'm 35, 40 years old, and I have no marketable job skills outside of broadcasting. What the hell do I do? There is reality, which is why I tell you it's a bad business. And that's if you can get a job. That's if you can get a job. Now, with that all said, I was very fortunate, very fortunate. And so I'm aware of that as I, as I tell my story, but I don't want to try and uh, say because I was lucky that everybody else will have the same luck. And even though I was lucky, I know that, uh, you know, I know from what my life's been like for the last, God, oh, when did it start? I mean, really, it started with my first TV job in Little Rock, um, which is a story I will tell in this podcast, which will probably seem unbelievable. There'll be some people in Little Rock who, uh, who maybe worked with me who will be able to attest to it, and you won't believe it. So it goes back to 1999. 
um, and it continues to present day. It's just the way that it is, and that's why I would, really wouldn't wish that for people. So with all of that said, uh, you know, I, 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 I put a tape together. If the University of Missouri, you're able to anchor your network affiliate on a college campus, which I believe, at least at the time, was the only one that may have changed. The University of Missouri, the University of or Syracuse and Northwestern were considered the three best journalism schools. Now, I don't know if that's still the case, but that's what it was then. And one of the reasons why Missouri was considered so, um, you know, elite was because you had a network affiliate at which you would work, which meant nothing to me when I was like 18. But now that I look back on it, it was important because you actually get a chance to go live, which is a defining thing. You look in the camera, you're live, you automatically are nervous and some people can do it and some people can't. And I don't care who you are. You either can do it or you can't do it. It's probably like playing a musical instrument for some people. It's just effortless. And for others, they could never do it. So for whatever reason, I could do it, and it was effortless. Uh, and so once that happened, my first live shot was with the Harlem Globetrotters at the Hearn Center, the arena before Mizzou Arena. And it also took place on the day I got my first prescription for Propecia. And I would tell you that I'm not sure what was more important to my career, the Propecia prescription or the first live shot. Because in 1998, when I did my first live shot, uh, it wasn't real commonplace to see uh, dudes with shaved heads on television. And so I needed to hold on to what I got. And in 1998, I was 21 when I got my prescription, but I already was starting to lose my hair. Just a terrible beat. What are you going to do? You know, what happens? You know, so Propecia just come out. I don't really see them advertising anymore. I don't know what that's about. I just know it used to be advertised all the time. And I started taking it and it was a, and I, and I kept my hair unfortunate side note as we move eight years down the road when I thought I was no longer going to do television I stopped taking it because it was like $90 a month and um and then I'm like I'll grow I shaved my head and then I'm like I'm going to grow my hair back out and then since I had stopped taking Propecia my hair didn't grow back and now I'm left with this disaster that I have now and had I kept taking Propecia I would look like Quinn Snyder so from that standpoint my official recommendation to you is to never stop taking Propecia with all of that said I put together a tape because I was able to do so of my live shots of some sports stories. Mark McGuire's run in 1998 was were a couple of them, but then clips of me anchoring. And I guess the stuff was good because I, I began to get, I began to get a lot of job offers, but you have to understand these aren't job offers like in St. Louis and New York. They were, I remember, God, I remember Binghamton, New York, the first one, Binghamton, New York. Uh, I don't know if I could find Binghamton, New York on a, on a map. I think it's in between New York City and Buffalo. Uh, Medford, Oregon. I think there's something called Greenville or Green Valley, Mississippi. I just remember the news director calling me and trying to, like, sell me on it by saying Jerry Rice went to school there. Um, what else? I don't know. There were, there were a few. The colonel, Gabe DeArmond, who was in my class at the University of Missouri, and many of you may know him from PowerMizzou.com, Got a job, had to get a job. He was, uh, I guess, uh, he had graduated, and he's a little older than me, even though we were in the same class. And he got a job in, in Rapid City, South Dakota, as a sports director. And then they needed a weekend guy, and they offered it to me. And if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not saying this like as a joke, so I know people won't believe it, but this is real. It paid $12,000 a year. That's the business. So, you know, I pass on that. I hang out in Columbia. I keep anchoring, keep reporting. This is now 1999. I'm having just the best time ever because I'm not taking classes, even though I still have eight hours left to graduate. 
And, you know, I'm living with two guys who are still in school, but they both worked at a bar in Columbia at the time that was super popular. I think it just got taken out a couple of years ago called Quentin's. Uh, it was the best. I mean, my God, I think we, I think for real, we got intoxicated six of seven nights. I think we kept holy the Sabbath or Monday, one of the others, but otherwise uh, it was every night and I wasn't going into work until two and I was doing television and I was loving it. Didn't really care about how much money I was making. I was having a great time. Well, then school came to an end, even though I wasn't taking classes in May. And then it became real like, okay, I guess I got to get a job. I mean, I just completed my fifth year in Columbia and I still don't have a degree but the degree didn't have value because I'm going into a business that I know my grades meant nothing. It was about my tape. And so it got down to a decision. Monterey, California or Little Rock, Arkansas. Both had put offers out there and Monterey actually paid more. And if I'm not mistaken, the exact dollar figure, I think it, I'm, I'm going to call it 27.5. I don't know why, but I, I know it was in the, the upper 20s for Monterey. But if any of you have been to Monterey, that's where Pebble Beach is, and it's not exactly inexpensive. So I would say twenty-seven five in Monterey is like ten in St. Louis dollars. The other job, and it would have been a two-year contract. Plus, for whatever reason, and I still don't know what this was about, and I don't know what I did because uh, if anything, I was in beggar mode. The news director, who happened to have gone to the University of Missouri, was really turned off by me. And I don't know what the hell I did. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can certainly see how I can turn somebody off. But, I mean, it's 20 years ago. But if I turned him off so bad, you would think he would just go like, okay, I'm not hiring this guy. But then he still offered me the job. And then said, I emailed him and I said, okay, I keep hearing it's super expensive to live in Monterey. I've never been out there. I've never been. I've been to Seattle one time for the PGA Championship the year before. Other than that, I'd never been further west than Lawrence, Kansas. I, you know, so I've been to California, and I said, I got to get a car. You know, will I be able to afford all of this on this salary? And I was asking sincerely, not not negotiating. I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground when it came to negotiating. And he goes, yeah, I really wouldn't recommend getting a car. You probably won't be able to afford it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, then what the hell kind of job is this? I need a car. It's not like I'm looking to get a Bentley. And I can't get a car. So that struck me as a problem. Plus, I would have had a contract. That wasn't something I really wanted at the time. And then Little Rock, I actually went down to Fayetteville for a job. Um, and I got that offer as well. Uh, turned that down. But as I was driving back to St. Louis, as opposed to just heading straight up, like kind of 44, you know, you'd get to from Fayetteville to Springfield and then take 44 back up to St. Louis. I shot across the state and went through Little Rock and then went back up, you know, Memphis once I went to the east side of Arkansas. And I guess I had a job interview there with the NBC affiliate, which was KARK. And then Joan Early, who was an anchor at KOMU and who just moved to KATV in Little Rock, um, told me that there was a job opening at KTHV. And KTHV, which was owned by Gannett, which used to own KSDK here in St. Louis, uh, said... Uh, you ought to go there because the station's really, you know, charging and they're doing some good things. So while I'm there, I'm like, hey, I give them a call. They interview me. Um, I didn't really think anything of it one way or the other. And then they they give me a job offer. So now I have a decision between Monterey, California and Little Rock, Arkansas. You're talking two polar opposites, obviously. And I remember asking Rich Gould, who I'd interned for, in 1997, his opinion on what to do. That's what I would always do. What would you do? What would you do? And he says, Junior, he would always call me Junior. 
He goes, I can't even believe you're asking me this question. He goes, you have a chance to go to the most beautiful place in the United States or Arkansas, and you're debating it. And I said, yeah, but I mean, I one's closer to St. Louis, and I want to get back to St. Louis. He goes, who the hell cares? Go to California. I can't, I'm disappointed that you're even asking me this. I remember asking Malcolm Briggs. You may remember him from Channel 5. And he told me to go to Little Rock. And I didn't know Malcolm as well as I knew Rich. Uh, and he thought the contract thing was was one thing. And if I really wanted to get to St. Louis, it would be good to be closer as opposed to being out there. So I sweated this decision for a while, like, you know, a week or two, till it got to the point that both stations are like, okay, we need an answer. I mean, you're 22 years old. You know, it's not like we're talking to Bob Costas. You're figuring it out. And if you say no, who cares? There's 500 other people with the job. And I remember calling, I think it was at a friend of mine's bachelor party, or it was like the day before he was getting married or something like that, or he just gotten engaged, one or the other. And I remember I got, I just got to make a decision. I go inside. God, I haven't even thought about this in 20 years. I go inside and I call on a Saturday and I tell the guy I make, I was going to Little Rock. I accepted the Little Rock job. And, you know, I remember just like being depressed. Um, and I don't know why I just remember feeling that way. I remember my friends were like, what is wrong with you? And I'm just like, you know, I'm just not in a good place right now, but I felt like I had to do it. I felt like it was the right play and who knows what would have happened had I gone to Monterey. I don't know. Um, I've never gone to the station. That was another thing that people thought was kind of odd that they wouldn't be willing to fly me out there for an interview. But that's, I mean, if they're paying $27,000, it's not like they're spending a lot of money and they're not going to spend 1500, 2000 to fly me out there and put me up and, and so on and so forth. So chose Little Rock, drove down there. My first day was July 5th. I'm 22 years old and they fired the sports director within a month of me getting there. And as I recall, there was a whole thing between him and the general manager. And I kept hearing about the general manager being this and that. Uh, and I really didn't know her. Why would I know her? I'm the number three guy in the sports department. And then I also recall that there was like a thing amongst some of her friends at church. I know this sounds fabricated, but this is all true. I'm kind of going back into my memory as I'm talking that they had a problem with me. Uh, the way I broadcast. Now, first off, which might sound amazing to some of you listening, many of whom are St. Louisans, that in Arkansas, I was considered a Yankee. Now, I had never heard that term outside of the baseball team. Very good baseball team at the time. And I'm going, a Yankee? What are you talking about? Well, because, I mean, you're from the North. And I'm going, St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, you're from the North. I mean, you say Knoxville. And I go, yeah, Knoxville, Tennessee. It's Knoxville. Huh? You say Fayetteville, Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's Fayetteville. Going, what in the world is this stuff? But okay. And then I guess they didn't like that I kind of was a cheap ripoff of like Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, you know, Craig Kilborn, Rich Eisen, Stuart Scott, whatever. All that was in vogue. Every guy my age was ripping off what was going on with SportsCenter at the time. And I guess they were used to just like the stuff that we joke about now, talk sports. That's what I was dealing with in Arkansas, although I was 22 and I had absolutely no idea. And so I was kind of on the hit list, but I didn't know it. I mean, just totally oblivious. So this is a true story. It's a, I mean, it's 100% true. And the handful of people who, who I'm friends with from Little Rock would listen to this and they would be able to attest to it because I know the GM isn't there any longer. Um, so it was in late September. I still hadn't turned 23 and I'm anchoring because I was just going to be the number three guy 
which was more reporter, fill in anchor. But because they fired the sports director, now I'm anchoring. And, you know, to me, it wasn't that big of a deal because I'd been anchoring in Columbia and it really, you know, wasn't something that intimidated me. I mean, it's just, it's, if you, if you can do it, it's just, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's almost boring. If you can't do it, I can see how you could panic, but it's like somebody who can like handle math. It's like goodwill hunting, you know, like will hunting. You could just bust out math formulas. Somebody can play an instrument, the same kind of thing. Somebody can hit a golf ball, 350 yards. It's just one of those things. I would much rather have those traits than the ability to read off a teleprompter. But for whatever reason, I can read off a teleprompter. And so because I wanted to kind of do my own thing, I would write and ad lib over highlights stuff that was certainly a little more, you know, creative, but not like X rated by any means uh, in, in my intros and my ad libbing, you know, just to have fun with it. You know, I mean, I'm talking about Arkansas football. I don't know the first thing about Arkansas football, but that's what I'm covering. Uh, Dallas Cowboys NFL, Arkansas College, and Cardinal Baseball. That's what they cared about in Little Rock at the time. And I recall, I think I was anchoring on a Monday night. It was right around my 23rd birthday. And I and I think Arkansas was playing Alabama, Sean Alexander at the time. And I think Arkansas was undefeated. And Alabama, of course, was good. Not the Nick Saban era. This is Mike Dubose era, different things. But nonetheless, good. And it was a big showdown. And if I'm not mistaken, in my intro, I said uh, the Razorbacks or the Hogs are jacked up for this Saturday's matchup. Jacked up, fired up, means nothing. Again, this is absolutely true. Think nothing of it. Why would I think anything of it? I come into the station the next day after anchoring the 10 o'clock, and there is a note on my computer, a desktop, one of those big old desktops, and it's from the executive producer, and it says, come see me when you get in. And so I go and see him. He goes, okay, we got to go talk. And he takes me in back into the sports office. There's nobody there at this time. It's like noon or whatever. And he said, Susan, the name of the general manager, wants to fire you. And I go, for what? And he says, well, because she thinks you made a reference to masturbation on your show last night. And I go, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, jacked up. And I said, yeah, jacked up, fired up. And he said, well, she thinks that means jacked off. And I said, yeah, well, it doesn't. So I don't know what to tell you. And he goes, well, it doesn't really matter. That's what she thinks. And she wants to fire you. And now she was under the impression that you had a contract, but since you don't have a contract, I don't want them to just fire you because you're 22 and you just got here and it could blow your career up. And so I've convinced her to let you stay, but you're not allowed on the air. So now the sports department goes from firing the sports director, the sports department didn't, the station did, in July. Then you're down to one other guy who was a great guy, Brian Stewart, first class. Still will communicate with him here and there 20 years later. Uh, And me, and now there's just the two of us, except now uh, Brian is the only one in the department allowed on the air, which means Brian never is going to get a day off. And it's all because the general manager thinks that I am trying to slide masturbation references into my sports cast like we're playing a Beatles album and playing it backward and I'm trying to convey my satanic messages through uh, double entendres in Arkansas 
you know, listen, I enjoy a stag film perhaps more than the average guy. I'm very comfortable talking about sex and sexuality, perhaps more than the average person in St. Louis radio. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I assure you at the age of 22 working in Arkansas, two months into my career, I wasn't going, you know, what I need to do is to try and make a reference and get it by the censors to, to, to beating off while I'm introing an Arkansas soundbite from Houston. Nut was not the plan was not the plan was not accurate, but what am I going to do? Uh, I mean, if this happened now, I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine it. I can't imagine it happening anywhere actually, but it did happen. And so at that point, I'm depressed. I'm horrified. It becomes like the topic in Arkansas television. If this would have happened in my hometown, I don't know what I would have done. Fortunately, I knew basically no one down there. And I mean, I was depressed because I'm going, what am I going to do? I just got here. And, you know, it's one thing if you're like, yeah, I screwed up. But it's another thing if it's like this person just doesn't like me, her church friends I know it makes it sound like I'm creating like this faux enemy, but this is that's really what it was. I remember the news director was a great guy, great guy, and he has moved up the chain in Gannett uh, in a major way. He's just a great guy uh, saying, yeah, I mean, it's your church friends and you just need to focus more on substance than style. And I'm like, OK, so I was already on the hit list and then that was just the excuse. So I stay didn't think anything of it. I guess the word had gotten back to St. Louis and sometimes, well, not sometimes, oftentimes in this business. And I really wasn't even thinking of it. Like there's just little jealousy factors as if I'm like down in Arkansas killing it. Uh, and it kind of got around. It became a joke in St. Louis and broadcasting circles that two months in, I'm not even allowed on the air. But fortunately, I'm down there and I'm out of the loop. But what that led to was me just be just going on a, a batshit craze to do whatever I could to find another job two months in. And now having hired people for a, a number of years, if I see on a resume, as I'm sure plenty of you are well aware that somebody was only at a place for a couple of months, it's a red flag, right or wrong in television in a big way, especially if it's your first job. And usually in television, people would think or radio, they go, oh, that means he's super hard to deal with. In this case, it's an inaccurate you know, thought process that I'm making references to jacking off in the middle of a sports cast. So I had to start sending out tape after tape after tape to, uh, to anywhere, you know, and, uh, I'm talking anywhere. I'm talking anywhere. I remember pursuing jobs in East Lansing, Michigan. Little Rock was number market number 57. When I got the job, I have no idea what it is now. St. Louis for the record to give you a perspective is 21 right now. Uh, New York one, LA two, Chicago three, and so on and so forth. Uh, but at the time, I think Austin was 60, and I bet Austin's like in the 40s now because they're a growing city. So anyway, um, I'm looking for anything. I remember Roanoke, Virginia, just dying to get anywhere. Uh, just kind of had to get out of Little Rock. So this is September, October, November of 1999. It got to a point that Brian Stewart had not had a day off in so long that they finally, I think like in late October or November, allowed me back on the air. But the deal was I was not allowed on the anchor desk. So I was like banished. And it was her way of still saying you're not accepted. And so they would wheel one of the cameras out of the studio back to the sports office to, uh, to have me do the sports cast. Like I was in exile and I was, and people would like, I told you about Joan earlier, earlier on, 
And, uh, and she said, we all are wondering why you're not allowed on the desk. Like, it's like Tim's little jail cell back there. I said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's bizarre. And so I asked Joe, and I said, is there anything anywhere that you can help me get a job? Because I'm like a starving sportscaster. I'm not making any money anyway. And I'm like, this woman wants to take me out. Uh, and fortunately, the news director and executive producer, like, you know, saved me from it. Who knows what would happen if they wouldn't have? And what would I have done? I mean, what, I don't know if my recourse would have been for something like that. I have no idea. But I'm 20, just turned 23 at this point. Thank you for listening to another Questions from the Audience Sode. And if you are on board with the podcast, and it seems like, based on the emails, more and more people are finding out about them and getting on board than really. I mean, this is this is the truth. Uh, it's all about the sponsors. It really is, because without sponsors, podcast isn't going to exist. That's just, uh, it's cut and dried. And then, then if they go, oh, we don't have any sponsors, so no more podcasts, people will get upset. But that's that's business. It's unfortunate, but it's also something that I just spent a bunch of time talking about, business of the business. So uh, here's the business of the business. James Carlton has been on board with the podcast from the very beginning. And, you know, it's one thing if somebody's advertising, it's like, yeah, I don't really know them. I don't really know what they do, but they're going to spend money, so I'll vouch for them. Hey, here's a case. Yes, of course, James Carlton's an advertiser, but I've gotten to know him. And I now get why he gets the kind of Google and Facebook reviews that he gets for James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. It's because not only does he know the business and know how to save you money, but he prides himself on the customer service of his staff so much so that he has seven people in that office building to make sure that you're always talking to somebody, always getting an answer. That's so important. It's so old school, but I love it. With home buying season heating up, after you get pre-approved with Ryan Kelly, be sure to get a quote from a top agency and provider of the number one home insurer in North America. And that is James Carlton and the State Farm Insurance Agency. They're online at carltoninsurance.net. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. That's what you need to do. Call James today and you will understand the program. That's what it's all about. James Carlton at Carlton insurance.net. I've gotten to know James here over the last, uh, God, at this point, nearly last year. And I'm just really impressed. I am really impressed with the way he does business. And it has been a pleasure to get to know him. And now you see why he's successful. His number is 314-961-4800, 314-961-4800, carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton, State Farm. So I'm depressed. I mean, I am depressed. And I remember Arkansas, which had a good football team, I said that earlier on, got to the Cotton Bowl that year. And they were playing Texas. And in Arkansas, playing Texas is like the Cardinals playing the Cubs. Uh, It is the rivalry. And so for that television station, they sent everybody to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And it's a New Year's Day game at the time. And so at that point, for New Year's Day... They allowed me back on the set. And then I was just allowed back on the set in general because there was no other choice. Brian had to go down to uh, to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. So I'm back on the set. It doesn't mean that I'm accepted and I'm looking for jobs. I'm looking for jobs. I'm Like I said, I remember this East Lansing thing, pursuing it like it was pursuing New York City. Along the way, running parallel to this are the 1999 Rams. And the 1999 Rams of course, wind up winning the Super Bowl. But, as you may recall, in order to get to the Super Bowl, Ricky Prohl had to make a phenomenal catch 
I think it was on a third down play, um, over Brian Kelly of the Buccaneers. And when he made that catch, it gave the Rams the lead. They eventually held off a Buccaneers drive. They win the NFC Championship. What that did back in St. Louis, little did I know, because I was at the game. I had taken the week off because I wanted to be in St. Louis for what I thought was going to be an obvious Super Bowl week, uh, was it sent the Rams, of course, to the Super Bowl. But what it did was it camo V, it led to uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob West, who was behind Steve Savard and Doug Vaughn in the sports department, the number three guy, quitting because he was pissed off they didn't send them to the Super Bowl. So I hear, I've never, I don't think I've ever met Bob West, so maybe there's another side of the story, but that's what that's what I've always been told by many people at KMOV. And he quit the night before the Super Bowl so as to really stick it to KMOV because he was pissed he didn't get to go to the Super Bowl. So what that did was it opened up a job. Keep in mind, I'm in Little Rock dying to get to just East Lansing or Roanoke. I'm just dying to get out of there. Meanwhile, I see that there is a job opening in St. Louis on this thing called Media Line, which in the Steve Savard podcast, which you may have listened to, you may have heard Steve talk about. That's how he found his first job in Billings, Montana. So it's now, you know, February of of 2000, and I see that there's a job available in St. Louis. But I'm so broke, I mean, for real, broke, that I knew it cost like $4.25 or $3.75 every time to send a tape. And it's one thing to send a tape to East Lansing because I figure I can get that job. It's one thing to send a tape to Roanoke because I figure I can get that job. But to send a tape to St. Louis, it's kind of like, there's no point. I'm not going to get the job. So I go, screw it. I'll send the tape and maybe the news director will like it. And then at that point, maybe in a few years when they have another job opening, I will have contacts with the news director and I'll be first in line to possibly get it when I'm like 28 or 29 because my goal is to get back to St. Louis by the time I'm 30. So I send the tape. I don't hear anything back. And I'm like, well, I'll just follow up with him. So I email the news director, Steve Hamill. I remember it was on Valentine's Day. No idea why, but I just remember I did. And he immediately, I think... I think he called me back or he emailed me one of the one of the other, but I knew it was immediate. And I remember going, Oh my God. And I just thought he was going to say, Hey, I like your tape. You know, let's stay in touch. But he said, I really like your tape and I'd like to fly you up here for an interview. And the original question that led to this whole story was what did I have on my tape? And so it's just anchoring clips, stories, but it was all done quickly. It's like like kind of one-liners, like 10 seconds. I always would hear, the news director is only going to look at 10 seconds of your tape. Uh, and then they'll know if they want you. For whatever reason, the look, they might be wanting to hire a certain uh, person. You never know what, what, what they're looking for. You know, are they looking for somebody who's older, younger? Are they looking for male, female? Whatever the case might be. Uh, and so, you know, you, you put all this stuff into your tape, and most people never, ever watch the whole thing. Uh, and that still holds true today. It's just a it's just a, a reel that's online. So with all of that said, um, he says, we want to fly you up here for an interview. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. This is, the, you know, it's one thing. I, I just wanted to get out of Little Rock. Now this is my dream job. And I come up for the interview. I meet Steve Savard. I meet Doug Vaughn. I'm in awe of meeting them, which I know may sound weird now, but that's how I was in, in I think it was late February of 2000. And it goes well. Have lunch with the news director. I, you know, what can what do I know? I'm a twenty. And I look back on him. I'm like, my God, I'm twenty three. Uh, but I'm thinking to myself, what 
happens here if I don't get this job and I'm that close to getting out of Little Rock and uh, and I don't get it and it's my dream job. So I get back to Little Rock after the interview, have no idea what's going to happen, have no idea how many people they're interviewing. And the news director calls me like a day after I got back. And he said, hey, Tim, I forgot to ask you a question while you were while you were up here. And I said, oh, and my mind's just like, what in the world is this going to be about the jacked up thing? Like, is this thing going to like be the thing that like destroys me? And he goes, I forgot to ask you if you want the job. And that was the great, it still is, still, you know, I mean, God, it's almost been 18, it has been 18 years since that phone call. And it's still one of the greatest moments because it was everything. And, and I was, it was just, I mean, it was the absolute best. And I, uh, of course, accepted it. He could have been offering me exactly what I was making in Little Rock and I would have taken it. And then, so the fact that it was more money was like, oh, pretty sweet. But that actually wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I was getting out of Little Rock. I was going to St. Louis and, oh yeah, I'm now going to be making more money, uh, which wouldn't, (laughs) wouldn't have mattered at all uh, if it were the exact same amount of money for real. And then to be able to call my parents and tell them I was coming home was then the next uh, great moment. I mean, that was the best. That was better than finding out I got the job. So uh, to come to go from co- covering Arkansas River Blades, I don't know if they're still in existence. It was an ECHL team, East Coast Hockey League team. A month later, I'm on the Blues charter flight, and I remember seeing Malcolm Briggs walk in and go, oh, my God, I'm on the same plane as Malcolm Briggs. And then after Malcolm Briggs comes Chris Pronger, Al McInnes, Pierre Turgeon. I'm, for whatever reason, sitting in the first, not first class, but the first row of coach. Uh, the players are in the back of the plane. And so I'm like one row behind, even though separated by the divider between first class and coach uh, of, you know, Larry Plough, Mark Sauer, Joel Quenville. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm in absolute awe of this. I, I mean, it, it's, it's a dream scenario. And still to talk about it. It still doesn't remove the awe, even though I'm 18 years removed from it, because I can put myself back in that position to know where I was a month beforehand and to know where I was at that point. And also on top of that, I remember when we went to SEC Media Days in Little Rock, we shared a room. And it's just kind of like, yeah, that's what you do. Well, in St. Louis, you can't. And I believe it had something to do with AFTRA, which was the talent union, is the talent union. You couldn't share rooms. So not only am I not sharing a room, but we're staring at the Fairmont because we would stay with whatever hotel the Blues were staying with, the Rams were staying with, the Cardinals were staying with. So now I'm staying at Fairmont's and Ritz-Carlton's and Four Seasons, and I'm I'm just happy that I have my own room. And I'm on the road at the Blues. I have my own photographer. I have a meal expense account. This is just like, it's like getting called up to the big leagues, which is a funny way to put it, but that's what it was at the time. And... It was a, it absolutely was a dream come true. And I can't, I can't overstate that. That's the, that's the truth. Um, it was the absolute best. And so even though after a couple of years, it became clear that it wasn't something that I loved as much as I thought I was going to love it for my entire career. Radio certainly intrigued me more. I began making a lot more, relatively speaking, doing radio than television. Um, and therefore, it was kind of easy to leave TV uh, because it had normal hours, wasn't working holidays, and I loved it, and it was making more money. It still doesn't change the fact that for those first few years to, to cover the Blues as the President's Trophy winning team in 2000, the Rams 2001 team going to the Super Bowl, Missouri, my alma mater, 
uh, as a 12 seed, coming up a few free throws short of going to the Final Four in 2002 in San Jose. And the Cardinals in the World Series in 2004, I mean, as a St. Louisan, still, you know, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 years old, what could you possibly ask for? I mean, that was the absolute best. The thing that if I look back on it, what what are regrets, uh, as I discussed with Steve Savard in the podcast, which I would majorly recommend listening to, uh, the way I handled leaving there was just immature, irresponsible, embarrassing, and I'm disappointed in myself in the way I handled a variety of different elements. First off, handling it over email like a total pussy, uh, which I would never do now. Uh, and then just secondarily airing private stuff publicly when I was the initiator. Now, if somebody's going to air something publicly and they start it and they're saying things that aren't true, then I may... I may state, you know, state the record and make sure that uh, I, I I state the record and, and make sure that what happened is true uh, and go public with that. But if I'm the one to initiate it, I mean, just like, ugh, gross. I'm just so disgusted with myself. But truly the biggest regret on the whole thing is because I reached what had been my big goal at such a young age, um... I became complacent, and by complacent, I mean not in the job itself, but in my career, because I look back on that, and I could have, I could have gone a lot of different places between 2000 and 2003. February 2003 was when my first contract expired, and I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even look, I didn't even think twice about it, didn't even think twice about it. Uh, which is just dumb. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's just dumb. Because if you're in that position at that time, you got to take advantage of it. And that's dumb. Now, that's not, I, I still, where would it have wound up? I have no idea. I mean, in, in 2007, 2006 and seven, I had great opportunities in television. They're outside of St. Louis, but it only came because I'm like, oh, this radio situation is chaotic. I've got to go back to TV. And that's how the, but they, they were born out of necessity. Uh, and that's not not usually how you're able to get your best deal. You get your best deal when you have a couple of places at least pursuing you. And I could have had that. Uh, and so when I look back on that, that was a mistake. There's just no other way to say it. Now, nobody was telling me to do otherwise. I wasn't really asking anybody because everybody's like, oh, you're in your hometown and you're making a nice living and you're doing exactly what you want to do. But that was that was something I look back as a mistake. Stop taking Propecia. Taking, stop taking Propecia. Big mistake. As dumb as it sounds. I know it sounds like a joke, but for real, in this business, it actually matters. You know, I mean, it's just it's just the reality of the game. Uh, and that's that's the truth. So uh, that's what I look back at as far as regrets on it. So for anybody, going back to the original question of how did it all go down, that's how it went down. And the Little Rock thing is 100% true. Um, that's That's why I say tread lightly if you want to get into the business. And I don't, I mean, how many people are making, and it depends on what your vision of a lot of money is, but how many sportscasters, and I'm asking this, like, asking, like, how many sportscasters in the United States, and that would be play-by-play, that would be anchors, um, radio, how many sportscasters are making a million dollars a year? And I realize you you want to make a million dollars a year. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. My point is there is a there's a certain number, whereas there could be hundreds of thousands of people in different industries making that kind of money because if you create, you can keep growing and making more money. In this, it's finite. 
And so that's something I handicapped when I considered going to uh, New York specifically, actually, because I felt like that was on the train to Sports Center. I didn't want to go to Sports Center. I had no interest in it. And I felt like, God, maybe 30 or 40 at the time, maybe. And, and, and some people might go, that seems really low. But I mean, if you do the math, I actually think, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm spitballing it. But, you know, and, and the point being, yeah, making a million dollars in St. Louis is, making, is a lot different than making a million dollars in Los Angeles or New York. That's like making 500000 or 400000 in St. Louis. And so that, those are all the things that, that, you, that you factor in on it. Um, but do you really want to spend your 20s making like no money? And that's, that's something that if, if you're interested in it uh, or if uh, your children are interested in it, those are my official cautionary tales. And ideally, you do not work for a general manager who does not know the difference between jacked up and jacked off. That's what caused me a hell of a lot of sleepless, sleepless nights in Little Rock, Arkansas, back in 1999 and 2000. So there it is. Questions from the audience brought to you by Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, brought to you by James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent Ryan Kelly, online at thehomeloanexpert.com. I am in the midst of doing business with Ryan Kelly. So let's just type in the Home Loan Expert. Dot com and see what happens. I'm going to go to the homeloanexpert.com. And what I've been talking to Ryan's staff about is refinancing. So you go to the homeloanexpert.com. It pops up. There's a picture of Ryan. He looks quite dapper. I can click on refinance. I can click on purchase. I click on refinance and it's wonderful because I can just sit there and enter in numbers and now find out what kind of numbers I'd be looking at saving. Five minutes can save you $500. Why not type in the homeloanexpert.com and see what Ryan and his staff can do for you. The homeloanexpert.com. That's where you will find Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsors here of the Tim McKernan show and questions from the audience. All right. So I'm not going to limit it to just one question, but I'm going to uh, focus on a handful of questions, and then we'll save up the other questions for future sodes. Tim, really enjoyed your latest question from the audience podcast. Even with you flying solo, I enjoy hearing your honest and possibly off-the-cuff answers to every legitimate question. For your next QFTA, as a first-time dad, what have you found to be your biggest challenge? Is there anything that has come up as a parent that you did not see coming or wished that you'd been told about beforehand? Thanks. Keep up the good work. Okay. Uh, as far as biggest challenge goes, you know, I, I don't like to talk about it like I'm in the end zone because I know many of you listening are actually in the end zone or at the very least in the red zone or on the other side of the field. And I'm like at the two yard line of my own zone. So that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem uh, right to do. And then I'm really would be lacking self-awareness if I were to pontificate on parenting when I have an eight month old and that's it. So I can speak to the first eight months, and that's where I will stop it because I'm sure there are plenty of other surprises I am completely unaware of as my son is not walking or talking uh, at this point. So I have no idea what lurks around the corner on that. As a first-time dad, biggest challenge, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the sleep thing, I think, but truthfully, Anna Marie really has handled all of that, uh, you know, the first, I would say this, the first couple months are pretty rough. And I don't know if that really gets talked about. And I, don't, I think it doesn't get talked about because by the time people would talk about it, it's so far in the rearview mirror that it's not what they're thinking about. Because by about six or seven months, actually, I remember while we were down in spring training, so like a month ago, he had like a weekend where I'm like, 
holy shit, like this dude's becoming a person, you know? I mean, he's he's doing things as opposed to like caretaking. Like all of a sudden he's crawling and like jetting across the room and he's grabbing things. He's been pulling on my beard ever since he was born. Uh, but, you know, he's laughing and he's smiling and all of these things. I'm like, this is the absolute greatest. But, and I guess people might, maybe the reason people don't want to say it is they don't want to like, you know, say something and then feel like they're saying something hurtful about this being they love more than anything in the world, their child. But the first couple of months really do suck. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So for those of you who don't have children, I don't know, maybe this is supposed to be like a secret, but it's no good. I mean, listen, if for, for me, it'll always be the following. We didn't think we could have kids. So I'm running good no matter what in the fact that it even happened. But if I'm talking about a level playing field, and I realize I'm talking to most people who don't didn't have the issues that we had, don't have the issues that we thought we had, um, but I also know I'm talking to some people who will or do, and so I want to be sympathetic to that. Um, it, it just the first couple months are just it's just really there's just it's just really rough. I mean, there's no way around it. Now I'm sure some of you who are in the red zone on the other side of the field are going, oh, yeah, you think that's bad. Wait wait till they're 13 or 14. You know, you think you got it bad, you know, in the first couple of months. You have no idea. And that might be the case. I don't really need the emails. The emails will be wonderful, but think about it before you send it. Like, am I really adding something to the world by sending Tim an email that he doesn't know what he's talking about? We're talking about the first eight months. That's all I can speak to. But, yeah, it's just, it's, it's you know, like my brother, Kevin, is, is experiencing it right now. I have a friend down in uh, Florida who's experiencing it. And so if you can take yourself back to that, even if you might have like 12 and 10-year-olds now or you're, you, got, you have kids who are out of the house and you miss them, the first couple of months, from my standpoint, rough. And, and I can compare and contrast it because I'm enjoying so much month seven, month eight, uh, and I can't get enough of it. Like I hate the fact that I am not with him right now. I can't – I am such a nerd now uh, regarding my my son and just love being with Anna Marie and Jameson. It's the absolute best. Um, if there's anything that I, that's come up as a parent that I did not see coming or wish that I had been told about beforehand, nothing on the wish I'd been told about beforehand because there's nothing you can do. I found it really annoying and I don't want to do this. Like, the, oh, they grow up fast or it goes quickly. It's like, okay, well, what can you do about it? You know? So I never want to say that to people. Like when, when like my peers who have kids for the first time start having kids, I don't want to say that. Uh, cause I just, I, I, I just, and, and I know it wasn't said with any malice or any condescension. It, it just, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Um, because it's, it's like, oh, you know, what can, we, what, can, what can you do about it? I mean, there's just like bitching about the weather. I mean, okay. Yeah. You know, sucks that it's cold and snow and sucks that it's gray and raining again. Yeah. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and a, a parent, anything that come up as a parent that I did not see coming, uh, how happy it, it makes me. I get it now. That's that's what I would say. I never I never understood it. I felt like if anything, Anna Marie and I, even though it wasn't necessarily a choice that we didn't have kids, I'm like, man, we can fly to Las Vegas this weekend if we want to, and it just it doesn't matter. Meanwhile, my friends are going to like their ninth soccer game. I have zero interest in their life. Zero. And listen, let me make this clear. It's not like the idea of going to Jameson's ninth soccer game sounds good right now either. But uh, and, and, and going to Las Vegas right now does sound good. But with that all said, I get it. I get it. I remember the cat telling me, he goes, there are things that, that you would never have thought 
would mean a thing to you that will now mean the world because they will make you so happy. Like when he smiles or when he laughs or when he crawls and then just crawls up to me and just sits there because he wants me to pick him up when he wakes up in the morning and I'm there. Oh my God. It's the, it's, it's the absolute best. And it's just, and you, and you don't realize, and I don't know, maybe I would feel differently if I were like 22 and not 41, you know, and when we talked about last week's question from the audience, um, you know, as to whether or not that was something that, you know, uh, bothers me because, like I said, though, I, what can you do about it? There's nothing you do about it. it you, you, we had a baby when we had a baby. We were lucky we had a baby in the first place. I don't know if I had a baby at the age of 22 if I would have felt the same way. I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have enjoyed it uh, as much as I'm enjoying it now. That's not to say don't have a baby at 22. I'm only speaking for myself, and in part because you heard the first half of this whole thing, which was me telling you about the bizarre shit that I've dealt with in my career. What if I would have had a kid and I was dealing with the uh, woman in Little Rock who was thinking I was making masturbation references during the sports cast? That wouldn't have been, it was already tough enough. What if I would have had a dependent? Uh, And then another one via email. Um, Hey, Tim, I love the stories about the time the cat got his free bathroom and Doug joined the show, but it would be cool to hear the morning grind come together and how the morning grind came together in the first place. How did you, the cat and Martin end up on the same show and who made that happen? Uh, that comes from name withheld. Um, and it was via email as well. All these are email this time. Uh, here is the answer to that. I was working with Frank Cusimano. My first show was with Rich Gould and, uh, Jay Randolph Jr. That was June of 2002. And because I had a horrible sleep disorder and I'm so sympathetic to people with sleep disorders because I know what it's like, although I caused it. You know, because I would go out until five or six in the morning on the weekends. And I'm not exaggerating to sound like I ball so hard. It was super irresponsible. Uh, it was fun, but it was super irresponsible. And it wasn't drugs or anything like that. I, I've never been into that. Uh, it was drinking and strip clubs. And we would stay out until, for real, five or six in the morning. And it was like weekly. And then if we didn't go, I'd be in a pissy mood, which is just pathetic. But that's what it was. So... Uh, there became an opportunity, and I think it's when Rob Fisher, also known as Dr. Football by Jack Snow, uh, left to go to Memphis. I think that opened up Frank's co-hosting spot on the press box. And so I think in January of 2003, I started with Frank. And Frank Cusimano and I obviously do totally different shows. Now, a lot of people like that show because it was oil and vinegar. And I liked it because I was doing television and it allowed me to sleep in a little bit as opposed to getting up super early to do morning drive. Now I was doing the show started at nine. And so that's what I did. Now, Frank would miss some time. And when Frank would miss some time, I would have people come in and fill in. And uh, we would have Martin, who I knew from Channel 2. I was working at Channel 4. And the cat, who was working at Fox Sports Midwest. And I was at Channel 4, so I'd see him all the time at Bush Stadium or Scott Trade Center. And they would fill in. And the show really was popular when they would fill in. And when Frank's show is called The Press Box, still is that show because it was nitwittery way back then. We're going back to 2003 and 2004 was called The Sandbox. We jokingly called The Sandbox. And Frank having, at the time, some older listeners, they hated it. Um, but the younger listeners really were getting on board with it. And in 2004, that ownership group sold to a group from Atlanta And they wanted to revise programming and they loved the sandbox. And so they came to us and said, we want you guys to be the morning drive show. And then, and then they threw a bunch of money at us. Uh, And so 
that's how it all came to pass. And that's also why I wound up leaving television, because all of a sudden I'm making way more, almost twice as much more doing radio than I was doing TV. Um, And it was working for three hours and it was super fun. Now, when the show started in July of 2004, it was hated by the old school KFNS listeners so badly that little did I know this, but as it turns out, they were thinking about trying to fire us. Now, I have no idea how they would have done that because we all had contracts. Um, and as made reference to, the cat got a new bathroom one time out of somebody trying to screw him out of a contract. But, uh, it, you know, it, obviously that didn't wind up happening. And 14 years later, here we are. But uh, it, it was just, it was so different. And in St. Louis, where sports talk radio had been, you know, you take calls, you put a beat writer on, and then you break. And then you take calls, you put a beat writer on, and then you break. What we were doing, which is similar to what the morning after is now, was so outside the box that just change in general was met with a lot of resistance. And so it 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 pissed off. I remember it was older people bitching about it, and they hated it. But the best part was they couldn't do anything. And so we kind of got to a spot where uh, we were we were good. And so, as I said last week, when somebody asked about the whole thing, um, the thing stuck. The uh, And it was just, it was, you know, it was, you, you didn't realize how good you had it until it got blown up uh, because of uh, the program director sending these emails on Friday afternoons. And I don't know if that was done intentionally or not. Um, it's one of the things that I've since learned, like I said about the emails with Steve Savard, like I would never email because now I know what it feels like to get a huge email out of nowhere. Um, I wouldn't do that to somebody to do it on a Friday, like at five o'clock is just like the ultimate way to really just like stick it to your people. And so we had all had enough of it. And then Martin got an email when the Cardinals were in the NLCS in 2006 and that sent him over the edge and he quit a couple months later. We thought we were doing auditions for the third co-host, me and the cat. We're like, God, Doug's the obvious guy after all these auditions. And uh, Jason Baird, who was the program director, um, met with me, I think it was on January 3rd, 2007, at dinner at Jay Bucks in Clayton, no longer with us, and uh, and told me he was firing the cat and hiring Bob Fesco, who's now in Kansas City. And a lot of people hate on Fesco, but whoever was in that spot was going to get hated on because people had gotten used to the morning grind. And, uh, and now you have somebody who's doing something totally different. They're pissed. The show is no longer there. And, and so Fesco was in a no win position. Um, and that was a shame. So that is all that happened. Eventually, uh, I was able to get out of, uh, my contract at five ninety. I used the New York job to do that. The New York TV job to do that. And then 1380 was starting up a new station. And, uh, and I said, I'll come over there. I'll stay in St. Louis and I said, but Doug Vaughn needs to be the third host with me and uh, the cat. And that is how that version of the show, which is now nearly 11 years old, came to pass. So there is the background on how the uh, show has, uh, has, has been around now for nearly 14 years. It'll be 14 years in July. So next week, I will promise to get to more. The Little Rock story takes up so much time. Uh, but when you have a story about a general manager trying to fire you because she thinks you're making references to masturbation on her television station, I think it warrants some some detailed discussion. Uh, always enjoy the questions. Always enjoy the feedback. Email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. tmckernan at insidestl.com. Like the podcast if you would. 
Give a positive review on iTunes, wherever you may podcast. Uh, we thank our sponsors, of course, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent. Uh, thank them for making this podcast possible. Thank you to the Sea Monster. Thank you to Nick Yale. And thank you to everybody for listening. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.